What is the most important quality to make it as a top model? Is there one or is that too simplistic? I mean, it's just, it's an enormous question actually. Cause yeah. It's quite difficult to answer. I mean, I suppose there are so many qualities that, you know, I mean, from the very beginning, obviously one has to be, you know, uh, photogenic with all the things that one needs. But I think to make it as a really top, top model, um, you really have to sort of have the wherewithal and personality to want to go that distance. And you have to have a pretty strong personality and resolve. Mm. And I just think all those girls that have really made it big, you know, have got, have got other strings to their bow as well. Tell me, when you were a, a child, what was it that you sort of aspired to do? Because was this something that you, was fashion always an area that you wanted to work in? Did you always want to work in, in modeling? You know? No, God, it was the last thing on my mind. I didn't know, both my parents were professional. My dad was a, you know, a doctor, a consultant. My mother was a pharmacist. So they both went to university and um, you know, I went to very straight-laced private boarding schools. Um, but I just, I don't know, I, just, I always wanted to be individual. And I had an idea that I wanted to do something and not actually work for anybody, which is a pretty ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> I remember I had, I had a sports teacher and it sounds so incredibly materialistic and shallow but she had this red sports car and she was just a very dynamic personality and I thought, I want to be like her. Um, and I want to be sort of individual. And I, I never did um, work for anybody actually. Mm. I just started life, you know, um, I, I was a pint-sized model and that was something I didn't want to do. Mm. And I lived in a flat with a photographer and I was actually working in Kensington Market selling clothes. And, um, and he said, oh, I must take pictures of you. So. I didn't particularly like it and I just thought this is ridiculous, I'm five foot three. Mm. But I did start working as a model and then I was rather delighted about that because it funded my passion for antiques. <laughs> so I had an antique stall in Antiquarius in the King's Road, sadly it's not there anymore. <laughs> and, um, and so I did the two in tandem which was kind of great yeah. and you know my father always said to me, oh you'll come to no good because you know you refuse to go to university you should go and do a typing course. And I was like, never am I going to do a typing course <laughs> because it will mean I will have to do it when I'm starving. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went to live in Paris and I had a flea market stall and I represented a photographer, Stuart McLeod. And then I came back to London and I managed a punk band by default. Strangely, a friend of mine had a music company in Paris called Orange Music and they said, I've got these crazy guys, I want you to drive them around. Um, they're signed to our label, but they're an English punk band. So somehow I started doing that. God knows how. They were absolute <laughs> nightmare. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, and then I married my first husband. Went to live in Berkeley, in California. Tell me a bit more um, about your work as a model, because do you think that that's actually, even though you say you didn't like it, do you think that's made you more compassionate and more understanding in the role that you do now, because you had that direct experience? I think especially as I didn't like it, you yeah. know, that, I mean, and I can imagine it's not for everybody and very often, you know, we take amazing looking girls and they do quite well and then they just turn around and say, look, it's really not for me. Mm. So I, feel, I, I can understand how they feel, but yes, it, it would, it would, it, it naturally makes, I, I mean, I know how hard it is for them to go out and do go and sees and go and present mm. themselves to a new client every day to go on you know, a job with a photographer and, and a whole crew that they've never met before. Yeah. I mean, that is not an easy thing. I mean, people don't like going for interviews. Can you Absolutely, imagine going yeah. to you know, five or six a day? Mm. I mean, that's really, you know, mm. that's a challenge. I mean, and I think they're amazing to do it. So when they say, I'm exhausted, I go, oh, poor you. Because I do feel, you know, it's not easy. And it's not yeah. easy to go and get on a plane, you know, 
By the way, you're going to Mauritius tomorrow. Mm. I mean, not many people want to do things like that, you know. Talking more about your life, you know, tell me what was the point where, because you founded Storm, it was 1987, wasn't it? Tell mm. me about the, the thought processes and the conversations that went into that happening. Well, I went, I came back from America, I can't remember, in about 1983, I think, with my husband, who's a musician, and we were totally broke. So I got the first job working for somebody that I've ever had in my life, and I mm. think I was about 27 years old, 26. Um, and so I went to work for IMG for Mark McCormack for his agency, Lorraine Ashton. And I sort of thought that I'd, I thought, God, I've got to earn a living. I've got to go and, you know, I, I've got to do something. So a friend of mine said, oh, there's a job there. Go and see them. And I went and they gave me the job. And I sort of presumed I'd be there for about a year, perhaps. But I just really loved it and enjoyed it. But, you know, Lorraine, it was her company. She owned it. And then I was very ambitious. Yeah. And I spent four and a half years there. And then I just thought, I have to do my own thing. I, there's a ceiling here that I've reached. I can't go any further. So um, I felt very guilty about it. And I didn't take any models and I didn't take any staff. And um, I actually sort of left with nothing. Although I told her, I said, I'm going to set up my own business. Yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't like if somebody was doing it to me, but I did leave with nothing. I just went about looking for money, which wasn't the easiest thing. When you just go knock on doors and you say to people, here's me, I'm brilliant at what I do. I don't have any models, but I need 200,000 pounds, which in 1987 is quite a lot of money. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it, it was a really tough process at the beginning and I was, I was determined to have 50% because I, I, know, I knew what an incredibly tough job it was. Why did you have so much confidence? You said before, you know, you were sort of going to people and saying, you know, I know I have this great skill. How did you know you'd had that, that skill? Was, was it the girls you'd already been working with? Was it, what was it that made you so sure that you had well, to do I, it on your own? I was passionate about it. I loved it. I loved what I was doing. It was just brilliant. And I wanted to, I wanted to slightly have a different type of agency. I really wanted to find people on the street. And, 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 you know, I didn't want to take models that had already modelled and everything, and I felt that I had a good eye. I think people waited for models to come in. I don't think we did, you know, there were co sort of competitions and things like that, but yeah. I'm not sure how many people went out, literally, street scouting. And the other thing that um, I did at Storm was the fact that I was, um, I sort of introduced, I mean, it was going on, but Storm really was about sort of introducing clients to models that were working abroad and it was becoming a much more global industry. It wasn't so parochial and so London orientated. Sure. And so it was a question of a sort of um, educating clients about, well, listen, it's only, it's only a plane fare. It's only a hotel room. Mm. The girl come, come and you've got a much better choice of models. Look, you know, you're not just having to look at the British girls that are available at this time. You can look at girls from anywhere, from Paris, Milan, New York. Mm. So we very much sort of worked on those two things. But I think the way now the industry, well, we've almost become, we've become like the music business yeah. with, with this digital world that we live in and e-commerce. And so we have had to really step up to the plate. Have you really noticed that with some of the girls when you're signing them now, that you're almost advising them just as much on how to build their we profile? We've got a whole section and, and, and we introduce them to, the, to those girls and they advise them how to do it. And mm. I mean, that can be, there can be pitfalls. You've got to be very you know, difficult because you don't want girls doing selfies on a set with a brand new, I don't know, you know Louis Vuitton coat that you know, yeah, suddenly <laughs> you find that it's on the high street within five minutes, <laughs> you know, and that somebody has knocked it off. So, you know, they've got to be, they, they, you know, you've yeah, got to really sort of, you know, to explain to them how it goes. But yeah, no, and, and also, I mean, you can actually 
you know, you can, you can really sort of pinpoint a, you know, if a client's wavering about a model, if you say to them, well, by the way, she's got, you know, a 200,000 200, following on whatever, or it's 150,000, I mean, that is going to influence them. Yeah. Because they've got a ready-made, another source of, you know, mm. yeah, it's really fantastic. It's interesting because the role of the models becomes so much more active, you know, before mm. they were almost just sort of... No, but they really are yeah, influential. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting, I was going to ask, because there was someone like Cara, who's such a, Cara Delevingne, who's such a big success for, for you guys, it must be, yeah, it's, it's, in a way she's bigger than her client. Is that really hard to advise girls when they get to that point where, you know, they've got more followers than the readership of the magazine? Well, absolutely, and they have got more followers than the readership. It's really big business now. And yeah. the girls are much more powerful and they have a real voice. When I started Storm, nobody had, they didn't get, get given credit in magazines. I can't remember yeah. which magazines and when a model started to get credit. Mm. And I suppose the general public was probably never aware of who people were. They just saw a great looking woman on the cover of a magazine, whatever. And then obviously, I suppose, you know, those sort of late 80s, uh, you know, when there were all those girls that people began to know who they were, Linda Evangelista, Tatiana Patitz, Christy Turlington, Naomi. And then, you know, Kate started and, um, I mean, they, they have been personalities for quite some time and then, you know, movie stars, actresses started coming into our world mm. and, and then that was another kind of difficult thing for us that, yeah. you know, if you look at, you know, 12 covers of British Vogue or any magazine, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of actresses and, and it isn't dominated by models anymore. So that's why I think it's incredibly important that models at that level have to really, you know, do other things that bring attention and, you know, propel them. When them, you know, it's kind of American Vogue that kicked off that celebrity thing, you know, Anna Winter putting celebrities on the cover. Did you find that quite frustrating when you started to see actresses kind of modelling fashion? Well, yes, no, it is. I mean, you know, and they took all the big campaigns as well. It's it's incredibly annoying, but it's just the way it is. But it's another thing, You yeah. just have to deal with it, which is why you need to do so many things to make the model, you know, the general public more aware of her so that her power is stronger, that brands are going to use her. Do you remember the first few girls that you scouted? Were any of those girls that ended up being really, really huge? Who was the first kind of real well, storm I mean, success story? I had a great girl that I found outside Dover Court garage on Battersea Park Road <laughs> and I remember she did the cover of Lay magazine so for me that was just like my god you know this is amazing Lay magazine I don't think exists anymore um, I had girls that did pretty well mm. but I suppose the first person that did monumentally well I think I found Kate about 18 months after I was constantly looking looking for people finding people absolutely everywhere and anywhere tell me about spotting Kate I know you've been asked about this so many <laughs> times but you know, because one thing that I find really interesting in your work is I feel like you have, and I think quite authentically, not in a kind of deliberate way, always champion people that perhaps wouldn't traditionally have been considered a model, even things for kind of as simplistically as their height. And, mm. and I wonder, was that something that was quite deliberate? Were you actively looking for people that would break the mould? Or was it just that they were beautiful? No, absolutely yeah. not. I, no, 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 I never think about that. I mean, I suppose actually before Kate, I, probably, I think I found a girl called Jane March who was about five foot three. Mm. And that was the first time we put anybody in a film. We put her in The Lover with Jean-Jacques Arnaud, which was mm. super exciting. But um, so obviously that she was not a traditional model because she wasn't yeah. tall enough. So I didn't really care. I never thought about it. I just thought, ooh, yeah. she's amazing. She can do beauty and maybe we can put her in a movie or, you know, I mm. just... 
Um, no, so I never thought about challenging, you know, what, what the norm was at all. And, you know, Kate, well anyway, Kate, I think, was sitting on a, she was sitting on a piece of luggage um, in the queue for a Pan Am flight from um, JFK to London and she was on standby. So I was making a call and I just happened to turn around and see her sitting on this piece of luggage. But, you know, my eyes, I'm just mad about looking at people, so I just saw those cheekbones and I just thought, God, she's amazing. I was doing a programme on The Closed Show Live. Jeff Banks kindly gave me a slot, so lots of people watched it. So when we went back to talk to her, she did say, oh, I've seen you on the television. <laughs> so it's like, oh. Do you think that the industry is more accepting? Is it more diverse now? Because often there's comments about how we've become even more kind of um, sort of bizarre in our approaches to women's <laughs> bodies and that it's even sort of, you have to be even thinner than ever before. But on the other hand, it seems like it's more diverse. Well, I think What's it's it? much more diverse. I mean, I've got girls of all, literally all shapes and sizes. I mean, yeah. you know, I just, I just hate, you know, um, the whole idea of, of people pressuring themselves. Because the girls, the ones that are ultra thin and ultra tall, it is those two show seasons in the year that really is. And there are very few British girls that walk those shows. Um, and that really is a big worry, but it's very important because that's a showcase for them to do the big campaigns and all of that. So, so that's a very small category of models. And yeah, they put themselves under a lot of pressure, which is Why a is huge so worry. Why is it so few British girls? Because you have to be five foot ten minimum. You have to be doing great editorial, um, and you know you do have to be pretty thin to, because people like people that have long limbs, you know, to show those clothes. They're all like sort of giraffes, gazelles, mm. you know, racehorses. They they they're quite extreme. Yeah. Um, and so of course there are lots of very tall English girls, but you do have to have a small hip size at five foot ten. It's not yeah. such an easy thing. Obviously, as a mother yourself, do you ever look at the girls and worry about their health? Oh, all the time. I go mad. I'm the person that says, what are you eating? Are you yeah. eating? Have you had breakfast? What's going on? I hate it. We get girls in. We get girls in specifically at showtime that have come from somewhere else. And they are just so terribly thin. And, um, and we, we send them home sometimes because I just know that, you know, this is really an unacceptable thing and the girl perhaps is potentially ill. Yeah. But in, in, in all that, there are people that are very thin that get caught in the crossfire. And do you find that sometimes you have to be quite pushy with the people that are sort of booking the models? Because there's a lot of criticism that's levied at fashion for sort of, you know, it's, it's a real focus on white girls, that there's not enough racial diversity. Mm. Do you, you must find that really frustrating sometimes. Yeah. You've got a great girl and she's just not getting booked because of no, it. Do you no, think we, the industry is racist and how it books girls? I think it's difficult in England. You know, America's fine because look at the, the ratio. You know, so, I mean, it's a lot easier. We're talking about black girls to work. I mean, now we've got, you know, lots and lots of Chinese girls. But at the end of the day, there is a limited amount. So you can't take, you couldn't have a third of the agency coming from Korea or China, mm. you know, because obviously they would end up sort of cannibalizing each other, if you like, because we just don't have a big enough market. But it is, it is, yeah, it's super frustrating because I would like to take more and more. And we do have lots of great looking black girls, but not as many as I'd like to, and I don't want to give people false hope by taking them and then realising that there isn't going to be enough work for them and somebody else is you know, going to get the work and, you know, it's, yeah. Why is the industry not opening its eyes? Why aren't people... Well, I think they are more and more. It's getting better. Um, but it's because, you know, the, the population and who's, who's buying and who's looking at magazines and I've no idea. I mean, it's... 
you know, at the end of the day, we're supplying something, and if there isn't enough work there, then it's difficult for us to represent people that are not going to get enough work. And do you feel like you're changing their lives? Because you must be, you kind of touched on it a few times, the, the responsibility that comes with that, because that must be a well, wonderful feeling, but also a very well, intimidating Well, it, it is a big responsibility, and it is a worry, and you think, heavens, you could be wrong, of course, mm. and I have been wrong, and we've all been wrong. Um, and then you feel very guilty about the fact that you've taken somebody from their sort of everyday life and given them this possibility mm. and it doesn't work. So that's, that worries me a lot. And so, I mean, yeah, you are changing people's lives and you're, you know, you're putting them in an extraordinary position. But, um, and, and then it, and it, and it's fantastic. You know, I've got girls that nobody's ever heard of. You know, that I've got one girl that owns 25 properties in London just from modelling. Mm. She's a beautiful, beautiful commercial girl, you know, and um, people that go and pay for their parents to have operations that, you know, that, that are needed and they wouldn't, you know, they, they haven't got health insurance and the girl's making a fortune and the mother needs, you know, lots of operations, all kinds of, there are some really wonderful things mm. and it makes you think, God, that's amazing.